In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Last Saturday, I attended the ordination and consecration of the Reverend Jeffrey Mello as the 16th Bishop of the Diocese of Connecticut, of which I am a member. The preacher for the occasion was someone I did not know, but whom I'm sure many of you in this congregation do know, Canon Megan Brower who is the executive director of the Episcopal Camp and Conference Center in, guess where? Rhode Island, of all places, Rhode Island, in a little known town called Pascogue. Our new bishop in Connecticut was born in Rhode Island and grew up here, which is how he knows Canon Brower, whose grace-filled sermon last week made me very grateful that she had been invited to preach. She remarked that in addition to the many distinguished alumni of that camp, which I'm sure include a number of your children here, she can now add the name of Bishop Jeffrey Mello, alumnus of the Episcopal Camp and Conference Center right here in Rhode Island. And a recurring theme in her sermon was the recovery of joy, joy in our lives and the importance of worship, worship together in keeping us attuned to all that makes for joy, to the gift quality of life, to the grace of God, which is the underpinning of everything that is and ever shall be, joy welling up from deep within. Joy, which is a living thing, not a reward, but a living quality which has to do with undeserved gifts, something like hope welling up from deep within, alive and not something that can be summoned at will. Our great New England poet, Emily Dickinson, describes hope as a feathered thing, to which I would add, joy too is a feathered thing. It takes flight, it has wings. Hope and joy alive in us, alive in us. Kept alive by word, word of God and sacrament, the love of God enfleshed. And the love of God flowing through us as members of Christ and members of each other, which is of course, the meaning and symbolism of the gift of baptism, joining us to Christ Jesus, bringing us into God's family through God's Son, Jesus, our brother. Each of us connected to one another on the very deepest level. And so this morning, I have to thank Reese May Woods and her parents and sponsors for choosing to be baptized this morning, illustrating joy and new life in Christ Jesus through the great sacrament of incorporation into a spiritual family that is both visible and invisible. And I see her there, I see her there waiting, not quite sure what's to come, but that's the role, of course, of the parents to help to teach her of this great gift and later when she's confirmed, 
she will know what it is that you're promising on her behalf, and she can make those vows for herself. But baptism conveying joy and the promise, promise as members of a larger family even than her biological family, membership in Christ's church, and the gifts which we share through membership in Christ in good times and in challenging times. And just as Easter cannot be without Good Friday, joy will not be in our lives without also a measure of struggle. The theme that came up in our readings just a few weeks ago returns today in Paul's second letter to Timothy. He tells Timothy, his beloved son in faith, who accompanied him on many of his journeys and whom Paul himself baptized. Paul writes to Timothy from jail, knowing that he is nearly finished with his ministry and Timothy will continue. He tells Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He was ready to pass the mantle to Timothy. Implying as well as Timothy learned and knew no doubt when he received this letter from Paul in jail, knew that a measure of pain and suffering would come to him in his journey as a faithful servant and as a member of Christ. The great mystical poet William Blake wrote true words that I come back to again and again in thinking about joy and joy as a living component in our lives that refreshes and renews and makes us glad to be alive. Man was made, he writes, man was made for joy and woe. Woe, the old English word woe, a kind of disappointment, sorrow, is part of life. Man was made for joy and woe. And when this we rightly know, through the world we safely go. Joy and woe are woven fine, a clothing for the soul divine. Under every grief and pine runs a joy with silken twine. Is that not lovely? This morning's gospel contains Jesus' parable told to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. The first was a Pharisee who was a regular churchgoer and who tithed. He gave a generous proportion of his income to the work of the temple or the church. I'm sure there are a number of us involved in stewardship in this parish and others who regret that this parable takes, you know, is read during the stewardship season in church. We want people to tithe. I aspire to tithe myself. But this is giving in the wrong spirit. This is giving as a way of showing off, as a way of trying to impress God. Look at me. Look at me. Look how much I'm giving. And not to promote God's work. 
So this man, whom I think we all know, and probably, if truth be told, all of us are this person in some way as well, including clergy, many of us, many of us, taking our usual place in the church, in the past probably would have paid for his pew, reminding God of our virtues, thanking God that we've never stooped to that level or the level of most other people. I am a cut above. In many ways, I am a cut above. Thank God I'm better than the vast majority of the human race. A good man, a cut above in some ways, yes, but certainly a successful man, but dare I say, not a man capable of joy or for that matter, compassion. Not a man that God can do very much with because he is so puffed up with himself. And it's evident that he is not talking to God in his prayers, he's talking to himself. The Pharisee believes that in this life people get what they deserve and he's very proud of what he's achieved and he wants everyone to know it. And especially when he goes to worship, he wants everyone to know how good he is. When he takes a fall, and the odds are that he will, I would like to think that he will return to church and offer his seat to someone that he used to consider far beneath him. And I would hope that he really listens to the scripture and learns of a redeemer who doesn't keep score, who risks much to go after the lost sheep, and who cancels the debts and heals the deformities of people who are not too proud to confess their faults and acknowledge their needs. Then he will learn the meaning of joy and the power and love of a gracious God who sent his son to give himself for the forgiveness of debt and to enter the lives of all who are humble enough to receive him. But we know the story of Lazarus and Dives, and we know that sometimes it really is too late. The tax collector in the parable knew his faults and didn't make excuses or try to put others in a bad light. His prayer for mercy was heard because he was humble enough to ask and humble enough to receive, while the Pharisee was talking only to himself. Baptism begins a great journey in which we are not alone and the journey is full of adventure and promise. And for all of you gathering for baptism this morning, it will be full of both adventure and promise. The late Frederick Beekner, who writes of his family as he was growing up, following his father's tragic death, had some difficult things to work through before he came to understand the grace of God and the joy that comes from God's love and God's grace. Frederick Beekner wrote, the rules in my family were don't talk don't talk, don't really talk, don't trust, don't feel. 
they had become masters of covering themselves over to protect themselves against anything that might hurt or cause pain. Insulating themselves from the real world, insulating themselves also from each other. And Beekner realized that the problem with steeling yourself against pain is that you simultaneously close yourself off from being transformed by the power of life itself and the power of God coming to us and each other. And after much personal struggle, he was able to write, listen to your life, see it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and the pain of it, no less than the excitement and the gladness. Touch, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments and life itself conveys the grace of God if we will receive it, if we will open our hearts to him and to each other. He described the gospel as a tale that happens to be true. The fairy tale has pain and danger, goodness pitted against evil. People are transformed, and in the end, all the characters are revealed for who they really are. To live within this tale is to experience the joy and beauty and holiness beyond the walls of the world. Of death, Beekner wrote, what's lost is nothing to what's found, and all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. Thanks be to God.